This podcast covers mature, intense, morbid, and sometimes just scary stuff. Listener discretion is advised. Allow us to introduce you to some of the unluckiest people in history, their plights, and pitfalls in 30 Morbid Minutes. This is the podcast where we investigate topics, people, places, and events of a morbid, macabre, dark, and downright grisly nature. I'm Elise Willems. I'm Jessica Wasami. His nickname was the Human Lightning Rod, and he's considered one of history's unluckiest people. (laughs) His real name was Roy Sullivan, and he was a Virginia Park Ranger who was hit by lightning seven times, and he survived them all which means that he survived more strikes than anyone else on record. Some bodies I feel like are just built different. Mine, <laughs> mine like just would not. I don't understand how that can happen. You're not built for a lightning strike, Jess? No. How many you think? Not Two? even one. That's what I'm saying. I would die on like immediate. It would just touch my finger. I'd be dead. <laughs> I Well, you know what? I, I have a retainer glued into my bottom teeth still. So I think I would conduct it very well. Jesus. <laughs> okay. Okay. Oh, That's God. good for you. Yeah, but poor Roy. I mean. Poor Roy. You know, yes. Seven times. No, seven times. Which begs the question, does the fact that Roy was hit by lightning seven times suggest that he was unlucky or that he was incredibly lucky for having survived it every time? (laughs) Oh, this poor man. He also had to fight off a bear with a stick the last time it happened, which if I was him, I'd be like, come on. You know, I'm working in this park. I'm maybe he had a metal hip or something. I don't know. It doesn't say in his Wikipedia article. In my opinion, he was unlucky. Okay, like, I don't think the survival is, I think if you're attracting that much electrical charge. <laughs> yeah, what's wrong with you? The universe is trying to say something. Okay, but Jess, like, what does it mean on a philosophical level, broadly speaking, to be unlucky? That's a good question. And I feel like it all kind of boils down to a matter of chance, a ro- <laughs> roll of the dice, so to speak. Yeah, and I think it's like we see this all in you know, capitalism, people being born into wealth and Nepo Mm -hmm. babies, so to speak. Right. Mm -hmm. But then what luck means something else to everyone. Like maybe to someone luck isn't being rich. It's having amazing health for your entire life. Right. Yeah. Um, Or surviving seven times being like, to me, I'm like, how did he get through that? So I don't, I don't know. I think it's it's subjective. Oh, you think you're half glass, half full. You think he was lucky. Because my immediate thought was like, how did he not die? Like, I know that he's getting (laughs) struck by lightning seven times in his life, which is completely insane, but he survived every time. So it depends the way, I think it's just the way you look at it. I I feel like the third time you're questioning everything, in my opinion. (laughs) It's safe to say if you listen to this podcast enough, you know, the world is a very cruel place. Not all (laughs) luck is distributed equally. What makes some people more lucky or unlucky than others? We asked this question, we're asking it right now, and someone tried to get to the bottom of it. Richard Wiseman, a British psychology professor, studied how luck impacts people's lives, and he has some thoughts and theories that might shape your perception too. From his studies, Wiseman concluded that self-determined lucky people tend to be more extroverted, they engage in more eye contact, and are more observant. Unlucky people meanwhile, are more anxious and introverted. So basically believing you are unlucky is what makes you unlucky. And this made me think of, remember that book, The Secret, Jess? Elise, I remember it because my dad didn't make me read the book. He made me watch the video for it. Oh, He sat me down. Yes, he sat me down at a very young age, whenever it came out, and I watched the video for it. The Law of Attraction, 
all of that stuff. I Can sat you there. Speak to it? Do you remember it? Oh yeah. I mean, yes. I don't remember like every little piece of it, but I. It is something I also. I mean, you can call it the secret or you can call it the law of attraction. Um, the idea is that like if positivity breeds positivity, is that kind absolute, of like it? Yeah. Like if you're going to think like the one example they use in the video is like if you're going to sit there in traffic and yell uh, at all the other cars and be angry, it's going to take twice as long because time will slow down in your brain. But if you're just like, you know what, I'm going to put on this podcast that I've been wanting to listen to for a while or call an old friend, that traffic is going to breeze by and mm-hmm. you're going to end up maybe even enjoying that moment that you got to talk to a friend or listen to the podcast that you wanted to listen to for a while. Yeah. PMA, positive mental attitude. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, mind over matter. And and so, you know, ever the wise men, see what I did there? <laughs> wise men put forth three ways to turn around bad luck and they're um, to keep an open mind, look on the positive side of things and just be more spontaneous. Yeah. Wiseman says that breaking routines and cycles makes people more able and willing to take on new experiences, expand your horizons, and then you create your own new opportunities for good luck. Very, very valuable to know. Mm-hmm. It makes me want to get out there and live life to the fullest, except that's not what we're going to do at all. In this moment. <laughs> no, no. This podcast, 30 more minutes, we're all about wallowing in the misery of others. Uh-huh. So, so we're going to be going to do the opposite and look at some of the most egregious cases regarding individuals who were unable to turn the tables on their lot in life. Yes, yes. <laughs> we're doing, uh, we're sorry. the <laughs> anti-secret here. We're, we're the open book. We are talking today about some of the unluckiest people in history and not to spoil anything, but I mean, the definition of today's episode broadens beyond people, I would say, uh, animals too. Mm, mm. Uh, Individuals who ended up in situations that no self-help book or guru could possibly ever put a positive spin to, uh, (laughs) these folks were just plain doomed. First up, Adolf Sachs, the man whose life may as well have been uh, the movie Final Destination, which (laughs) hopefully we've all seen because it's actually great. Yeah, it is a good movie. Uh, I haven't seen the subsequent ones, I don't think, but I think it just becomes like a, like how Saw is just sort of torture porn. I feel like the final destination is just how much more elaborate can we make these deaths? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. If you think that Adolf Sachs' name sounds familiar, it's because he is the inventor of the saxophone, the saxophone. And you would have thought, oh, this guy invented the saxophone, which would have a big moment in the 1980s. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He must be the coolest guy. He must have had the coolest life. Eh, not really. No. As a child, long before he invented the famous instrument, he survived an uncanny amount of brushes with death. His mother once even said, he's a child condemned to misfortune. He won't live. Jesus. In my opinion, things have to be pretty bad for your own mother to, you know, rocky for it and say, if he dies, he dies. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And despite his parents believing that he would not make it past childhood, he would go on to influence the world of music, obviously, for centuries. Adolf was born in Belgium on November 6th, 1814. So, yeah, he never saw Lady Gaga um, (laughs) (laughs) with her Edge of Glory era. Mm -hmm. I wish he did. He was one of 11 children born to parents Charles Joseph and Marie Joseph Sachs. His parents were also instrument makers, and Sachs made his first clarinet and his first flute by the age of 15. So by this time, he had long since had the reputation of being accident prone. 
And no, he did not comically fall off stage into the horns of giant tubas. But that would have been hilarious and very fitting. <sighs> it seems Sax's bad luck started at the age of three when he fell down three flights of stairs and smacked his head on the stone floor at the bottom. And apparently, after that happened, he was in a coma for a week. And he's only, age of three, he was only three, three years mm -hmm. old. Mm-hmm, yeah. And I, I, I might I might laugh so, sometimes during this episode, and I don't mean to, but that same year, little Sax drank what he thought was a bowl of milk. It wasn't, and he fell comatose. Oh, no. Who is, where's the parental supervision? I don't know, this but this is, yeah, this little boy. What he actually drank was a bowl of sulfuric acid in water, which is basically poison. Yeah, like what, where, how, at three, like this is just, it's, it's almost comedy i'm sorry why was that just lying around exactly what the fuck uh and so his parents or whoever was kind of watching him but not at the time saved him by having him drink liberal doses of olive oil which i was i'm like maybe that was to make him throw it up or poop it all out really fast oh for sure i mean that's yeah. that i don't have a gallbladder so i know what that's oh, yeah, like yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway <laughs> yeah so three more poisoning mishaps followed God. three Mm-hmm. So little Sax, uh, love that's what we're calling him, uh, when uh went on to slurp down white lead, copper oxide, arsenic, and even a pin. A pin. The pin miraculously passed through Sax's body without causing any harm, though. Oh my gosh. Did you, Jess, as a kid, do you remember swallowing anything weird? I remember swallowing a quarter. What? <laughs> what? I said, as a child, do you remember swallowing anything weird? No, I remember choking. I almost thought I saw, like, death uh, when I was choking on a mint at a carnival. And uh, I, I was asking my grandma to give me the Heimlich remover. She was too old to give it to me. <laughs> no. So I just swallowed it. Sorry, but no, I never... You swallowed a quarter? How did that end up? Uh, I don't even... I don't think there was any ramification from it. Was, I mean, but just, just go looking for it in your poop after? No, I think I forgot about it. And as a child, I had no concept for what, like, our, the duration of my digestive process was to even think <sighs> this is going to come out of me. What if it's in you still? Oh, my. How am I getting through TSA? <laughs> That's a good point. That <laughs> I also once was it. eating a popsicle and my tongue got stuck to it, but then it <sighs> melted. The perfect crime. Anyway. I would have loved to been friends with you as a child. Oh, we would have been the best. So yeah, little Sax, I don't know what was going on with him. Other bad stuff happened to him, though. A few years after all these uh, series of unfortunate events, he was working in his father's studio when a keg of gunpowder exploded and sent his little body <laughs> flying across the room. <laughs> um, and uh, This is insane. Yeah, uh, in a separate incident, he severely burned himself when he fell into a hot frying pan filled with oil. <laughs> From then on, Sax had permanent scars on one side of his body. It's like Frank Grimes from The Simpsons. <laughs> yeah, what is happening? <laughs> and then, I don't even know what happened here. He poisoned himself again, okay? He almost died because he was sleeping in rooms where varnished furniture was drying. And he did this not once, not twice, but three <laughs> times. And he was saved each time right before choking to death. What happened to this dude? Yeah, Sax also had a big scar on his head. Um, little Harry Potter boy. Story goes, he was walking down the street when a panned uh, cobblestone flew out of nowhere and hit him in the face. Just, uh, yeah, that's know. A, you know, freak accident, act of God. Mm -hmm. The closest mm -hmm. he ever came to dying, though, was when he was 10 years old. Not really clear what happened, which tracks for this guy's entire life. 
Um, but he was found floating face down in a river when a nearby neighbor spotted him. And then the neighbor kind of like plucked his little body out of the water and he was able to regain consciousness. He stopped out running the Grim Reaper as he got older, but he remained unlucky. But it's so interesting because like, as I'm like, you know, we hear about all this, I'm like, but he also somehow miraculously got saved every damn time. Yeah. It's like there was a, a, the, an angel was like, this cherished boy, we need him in heaven sooner. But then the devil was like, well, I love saxophone. Let's keep him around a little bit longer. I, I want to see what he does. I love little sax. Yeah. 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 And he went on to do some great stuff, as we know. At 24, he patented the bass clarinet. He would also patent the saxophone, as we know. Um, and then he got a teaching job at the Paris Conservatory in 1857. But not done yet. He would have legal troubles for the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. Competing saxophone makers would infringe on his patents and sax would go broke suing all of them. So he was driven to bankruptcy three times in 1852, 1873, and then again in 1877. Three times. I also feel like the saxophone is a strange looking instrument that you'd be able to call somebody out if they copied you. Oh, yeah. You'd be like, you thought of that too? (laughs) Yeah, it's a unique sound, a unique looking thing. Absolutely. Um, but Sachs then contracted painful lip cancer, but made a full recovery. And so finally, Sachs did die in 1894 in Paris, penniless from pneumonia. Oh, hopefully he didn't die solo. <laughs> Jess, that's a music pun there. Also, I can't imagine uh, the like horror of being a musician that you're playing these lip-based wood instruments and then you get lip cancer. Like, what a tragic... Mm-hmm. You know, but I wonder if there's some sort of like correlation there. If he is the, uh, you know, patented oh, if, the, if he was like using some chemical, mm-hmm, like dipping mm-hmm. these things in lead or mm-hmm. mercury or something, and yeah, who knows? I don't know. But uh, believe it or not, we're actually done with with uh, sex. <laughs> I know you you kind of thought this was going on for a while, but we're done with him. So next up, we have May he Anne rest Hall- in peace. <laughs> yes, please. I hope he is resting in peace. Jeez. Um, But next up, we have Anne Hodges, who is famous for something you definitely don't want to be famous for. Yeah, kind of more infamous. She was the only documented person to be hit by a meteorite. Yeah, and yet Hodges survived to tell the tale. This is crazy. So except she didn't consider herself lucky for it. No. And before we get into why, we have to rewind to 1954 in Sylacauga, Alabama, Sylacauga is located in the eastern central part of the state, and it's famous for its white marble bedrock. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, and I'm not going to check. Proceed, Jess. (laughs) Got it. (laughs) Alabama. In Alabama. Here we go. So, yeah, around noon on a Tuesday, November 30th uh, in 1954, a 34-year-old Hodges settled down on her couch to take a nap while her husband was at work. And other than her mother, no one else was in the rented country home. So Hodges snuggled up under her Afghan blankets, and then she kind of just like drifted off into a snooze. All right. So about 46 minutes later, 1246, there was an explosion seen across the sky. People in Georgia, Mississippi, and East Alabama described seeing a bright red light like a flare. Others said it looked like a fireball and a gigantic welding arc. Many reports thought the explosion was a plane crash. While everyone else was speculating about the explosion, a 4.5 billion year old extraterrestrial rock was moving fast, hurtling towards Hodge's living room. The meteorite broke into two parts traveling at 200 kilometers per hour. One of the two parts weighing 8.5 pounds shot like a bullet through the atmosphere. Upon impact, which it made with uh, her roof, 
The black rock ripped through Hodge's ceiling just above her large metal radio, and then it ricocheted off the radio and smashed into Hodge's side, uh, leaving a three-foot-wide hole in her ceiling. So you have to imagine if this is leaving that size of a hole in her ceiling, that's got to be painful hitting you. Yeah, she was stunned. Hodges and her mother thought that the chimney had collapsed due to all the dust and debris. The meteorite had hit her upper thigh and hand, creating a bruise as black as the meteor itself. Gosh, like I only think about if she had gotten hit in the head or face, she would not have survived, I'm sure. Yes. You know, at first they saw this rock and they were like, oh, some neighborhood kids must be playing a prank too. Like they had all these theories about what happened. Certainly not a meteorite. No. Uh, They rushed outside and there was nobody around. So they called the police and fire department, who in turn called the local geologist. By the time Hodge's husband returned home from work at 6 p.m., there were 200 reporters and sightseers outside the home. As Hodges told it, there was just, quote, a little excitement. Just a (laughs) little, just a tad. Back then, it's like a little excitement. I would have been like, shit's fucking crazy. Yeah, what the fuck? (laughs) Yeah, she was brought to the doctor the next day. Other than the bruise, she was fine. However, doctors kept her in the hospital for a few days to kind of spare her from the, you know, quote to quote, again, the excitement. Mm -hmm. And then they launched into this big debate of who owned this space rock. I love everything gets politicized just like immediately. Yes. Yeah, initially the police confiscated it and named it the Silicaga. What did you say earlier? That's what I said. The Alabama meteorite. The Alabama meteorite and then gave it to the United States Air Force. Yes, and then the Air Force gave it to the Smithsonian, who then refused to give it back. (laughs) Congressman at the time, Keith, maybe he's still the congressman now. I don't know. They they get to serve like lifetime terms. Mm, mm. Um, (laughs) Kenneth Roberts intervened. And they finally sent the meteorite back to Alabama. But Hodge's landlord, Bertie Guy, said that the rock was hers since it landed on her property. And then Hodges said it was hers and told the press, I feel like the meteorite is mine. I think God intended it for me. After all, it hit me. Oh, boy. So, yeah, of course, this the story was highly publicized and much of the public agreed the rock was Hodges and so started a very bitter dispute. And I just want to say, Jess, I'm kind of with Hodges on this one because, you know, when you go to the hospital and you get something removed, like Mm -hmm. you're like, oh, I get like your gallbladder, for example. Yes. And then they they won't give it to you. I was like, I did not know that. I thought I was going to go home with it. Yeah. In in a jar. In a jar and keep it forever. But Um, it's like it's from your body. I know. And they're like, oh, it's a biohazard. I'm like, no, I'm going to just keep it in my freezer and look at it from time to time. What what am I going to do with this? You know? Yeah. That's what I think. I'm like the meteorite hit. I'm kind of with her. but No, same. And and I can definitely, especially something coming from space like that. There's her saying, you know, God intended it for me. I can definitely see why she's like, this is meant for me. I get I get it. Birdie, I do not agree with. (laughs) Yeah. So like Jess said, the fight started over this birdie guy. Uh, landlord uh, wanted to sell the rock and found some buyers offering up to $5,000 for it. And plus, she was like, I've got a hole that I need to fix. And, uh, <laughs> and Guy's lawyers advised her to sue the Hodges for the rock, which she did. In the end, Guy settled with the Hodges and the Hodges paid 500 for the meteorite. So Anne Hodges is being barraged by all this attention. She's being featured on Life magazine and she was on a quiz show called I've Got a Secret her husband started to think, oh, this is building to something. We're going to be rich. 
so rich that he started refusing offers up to like $5,500 to buy the rock because he thought someone else would offer to pay more. And if you do the math here, that's about $60,000 in 2023's money. Oh, yeah. Whew. Mm-hmm. Some change. Yeah. In the end, the Hodges were not good at bargaining with the media. They made no more than a few hundred dollars off the entire incident. Yeah. Oh, after all <laughs> that, I'd be so mad at him. Oh, for sure. Ugh. A year later, when the Hodges finally got the rock back from the government, everyone had kind of lost interest in the story by this point. And so, as we've kind of alluded to, they couldn't find a buyer. Yeah. Ann Hodges ultimately sold the meteorite against her husband's wishes to the Alabama Museum of Natural History for $25, which is $275.83 today. Uh, so not even <laughs> recouping the cost of what they paid Birdie yeah. for it. Yeah. That was just one piece of the meteorite, though. Mm-hmm. We buried the two lead pieces. On that one. Yeah, <laughs> uh, the rest of the rock was found on December first, nineteen fifty-four, on a dirt road by Hodge's neighbor Julius McKinney. McKinney simply sat back and watched the drama unfold, all while quietly selling his rock to the Smithsonian for enough money to buy a small farm and a car. Mm-hmm. Worse than Gosh. the actual meteor hit was the insomnia and paranoia that Hodge suffered long after. I was wondering. I was just like. Is she okay? <laughs> yeah. And I guess like this is a very cataclysmic thing to happen to one person. And also just to be carrying this, knowing you're the only person this has ever happened to must really mess you up psychologically. I, I understand it. It was so bad. She was hospitalized at one point. Yeah. And it took a toll on her relationship with her husband. They divorced in 1964, like 10 years later, claiming that the emotional impact and stress of the meteorite strike was to blame. And they both said that they wished it never happened. And maybe I wonder if there was any residual kind of um, bitterness about, oh, we didn't sell it and we Mm -hmm. lost this much money. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hodge's health really declined in 1972, leaving her actually invalid for a number of years. And she died in an Alabama nursing home at 52 years old. Yeah, this this was not good for her. Well, there have been reports of other meteorite strikes. Hodges is the first confirmed strike. So to put that into perspective, just how unlucky Anne is, a person has more of a chance of getting hit by a tornado and lightning at the same time. Lightnado. Yeah. <laughs> or tornining. Yeah, there you yeah. go. That's I because when Los Angeles a few months ago we had the hurricane. So I'm all about the hybrid yes. disasters now. I mean, it's it's we're we're boring with like the simple ones, you know? Yeah. It's either if it's just an earthquake, come on now. Uh, definitely like Three months from now, there will be a deadline headline about how there's a script in the works, a movie in the works for Hurricane based on the I'm sure there is, especially happening over there. Yeah. Well, we have more unluckiness to come. But first, a very lucky word from our sponsors. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's the holiday season. And of course, you're thinking about gifts and maybe even giving to yourself. And since it's the season of Treat Yourself and everyone else, let's talk about how we define how we give back to ourselves. Because you get to decide how you do that and it doesn't have to be with something material. You know, it can be self-care. It can be taking time to rest, go easier on yourself, or maybe even going to therapy, giving yourself the gift of someone who can help you with guidance, be an ear, give you some perspective. These are all things that you will get if you go to therapy, I promise you. Um, And if you are thinking about starting therapy, BetterHelp is a great option. 
It is entirely online and designed to be convenient and flexible. All you got to do is fill out a survey and they will match you with a licensed therapist. I've tried it. It is very, very simple and they get back to you very quickly. Plus, you can switch therapists at any time. So if you feel like maybe it's not the therapist for you, no problem. They have a whole other set of therapists they can pull from and find the therapist that is just right for you. And yes, therapy, if you're going through a time, especially through the holidays, maybe you're having family trouble and you need somebody outside of that sphere to talk to and listen to you, therapy, I cannot recommend it enough. That is where you will find it. So in the season of giving, give yourself what you need with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com 30mm today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash 30 M-M. This episode is also brought to you by Aura Frames. Everyone feels so scattered these days. People live in all over the country, different countries, you know, globalization. It's enabled us to do so. It's great. But during the holidays, you will probably miss a lot of people that you love who are too far away to celebrate with in person. But luckily, Aura Frames is here with a thoughtful personal gift in a digital picture frame. Love this so much. I have one in my home, an aura frame, and it is like the centerpiece. When people come over, everyone's just watching to see what picture is going to come next in the aura frame. We get so many laughs, reliving memories. It is great. And it's also a really great way to connect across distance and to gift this time of year for friends and family who might be far away because you can upload your favorite pics and have friends and family do the same. You can, you can do that. You can all like just get the app and like, so say you get your parents one, you can upload photos to their frame. Don't have to physically be there. It is great. It is such a good gift. Mine is obviously filled with so many pictures of my dog. <laughs> um, and then my in-laws is like, they love it because we're just like sharing our experiences with them, even though they're not here. And the best part is that all these frames have unlimited storage. Um, so, you know, you can just pile it in. <laughs> you don't have to be so selective with your photos. So you can make this holiday just as good as the ones you feel nostalgic for, even if your loved ones aren't nearby, aren't so close right now. Give the best gift this holiday season by visiting AuraFrames.com today and get $30 off their best-selling frames with the code 30MM. They sell out quick, so get yours before they are gone. That's A-U-R-A frames dot com with the promo code 30MM30MM. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, time to switch things up a bit. This is the story of the unluckiest cat in the world. This is the story <laughs> of a cat named Unlucky. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. And I know what you're thinking. No, it's not Garfield. Okay. Like okay. He, even though he complains that he's very unlucky, he hates Mondays. Not Garfield. <laughs> this incredibly unlucky cat served during World War II with the German Navy as well as the Royal Navy. And he lived on three sinking ships. This is the story of unsinkable Sam. <laughs> unsinkable Sam, also known to some as Oscar, was a black and white short-haired cat that was supposedly owned by a German crew member on the battleship Bismarck. Oscar! <laughs> on May 18th, 1941, the Bismarck took off on its only mission, Operation Ryan Unburg. You did a good job. That was good. <laughs> the mission was to block allies from providing shipments to Britain. 
And Sam, a.k.a. Oscar, was on board about to have his first brush with death. Nine days later, after a fierce naval battle, the Bismarck was sunk with over 2,100 crew members on board and only 115 survived. Hours after its sinking, rescue ships are looking for survivors and they see little Sam floating on a board. So he got picked up by the British destroyer HMS Cossack. So kind of like a rose Titanic Carpathia <laughs> situation here going on. Is Sam, it the Carpathia? Sam right? was rose. Yeah. I Wait, think it was is the that Carpathia, the right? Carpathia. Yeah, it was. Okay, right. just making sure. Uh, so, unaware of what his name was, uh, the British crew named their new cat Sam. Yeah, they didn't know he was an Oscar. Mm-hmm. But uh, Sam, he served, quote unquote, I guess, on board the Cossack for the next few months. But on October 24th, 1941, during a routine convoy from uh, Gibraltar to Great Britain, that ship was torpedoed. The torpedo was fired by a German submarine, and the explosion blew one-third of the ship to smithereens, killing 159 crew members. But again, somehow Sam survived. Cats really do have nine lives, They Jessica. do, yes. And it seems one of the surviving crew members brought Sam to shore in Gibraltar, and later the duo transferred to the destroyer HMS Legion. It was after narrowly escaping death for the second time when Sam earned the name Unsinkable Sam. Shortly after the second sinking, he was transferred. <laughs> we had to like say goodbye to everyone. It's so sad. Oh my God. He was transferred to an aircraft carrier named the HMS Ark Royal. I do love the res- the amount of respect this cat is getting though from each ship and from all the crew members and everybody. So that's that's nice. Yeah, I would also wager they probably had these cats on board because they killed mice or any other varmin, you know, rodents yeah. that got on. But I'm yeah. sure he was a morale booster too. I don't know his political affiliations. He went from a <laughs> Axis ship to an ally. Yeah. <laughs> what yeah. did that mean? That's, that's God, I can't imagine. Well, cats, there are some cats I've met where I'm like, you are pure evil. Yeah, could have been um, a spy cat. Hmm. But there was no luck on the horizon for Sam. While returning from Malta on November 14th, 1941, the Ark Royal was torpedoed. They tried to save the ship, but it also sank. However, this time the sinking was slow and all but one crew member managed to escape. The survivors, including Sam, were found clinging to a floating plank, again, Titanic, (laughs) and were transferred to the HMS Lightning. Sam was described as being angry, but quite unharmed. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy, I love this. Um, And like when they say angry, it's like, oh, his his back was probably up and his, you know, he was his tail hissing a bit. Yeah. But I'm like, oh, his brow was furrowed. His (laughs) arms were crossed because that's how my cartoon brain thinks. Yeah. With the sinking of the Ark Royal, it seems that Sam's career on the high seas came to an end. He was transferred to the offices of the governor of Gibraltar and then later sent to the UK where he lived at the remainder of the war at the Home for Sailors in Belfast. Really cute. Yeah. Uh, He died because, you know, he's a cat. So he didn't, he made it through the war, but he died in 1955. And there is a pastel portrait of Sam hanging in the National Maritime Museum in Greenwich. Really cute. Yeah. Yeah. He's, There's a part of me that I'm like, I want to see that. Just yeah, like, I'm going to Google that portrait after that. Actually, yes, I, I want to see that too. Yeah. Okay, so our final tale of tragic fate also takes place during World War II, but in Japan. And this is the story of Sutomu uh, Yamagachi, the unlucky man who was in both Hiroshima and Nagasaki when the United States dropped the atom bomb in 1945. Yamaguchi was born on March 16th, 1916 in Nagasaki. 
1945, he was 29 years old. Yamaguchi worked for Mitsubishi Heavy Industries as a draftsman designing oil tankers in the 1930s, and he stuck with it through World War II. During wartime, Mitsubishi Heavy Industries was very involved in submarine contracts with the Imperial Japanese Navy. Yamaguchi was never a big supporter of the war, but at work, things were fine for him until the Japanese industry took a hit. Tankers were sunk left and right and resources started to become scarce. Mm -hmm. And by this point, Yamaguchi had such a loss of hope about the war that, and this is so tragic and, you know, kind of a trigger warning here, but he considered Honor killing his family with an overdose of sleeping pills. And, you know, Honor killing traditionally has been a form of ritualistic suicide in Japanese culture. All is to say Yamaguchi was just a regular person who was pretty scared about the future. Yeah. And perhaps rightfully so, because over the course of three days in August 1945, his life would change forever. Yeah. And I think that this story is one that I was familiar with prior to doing this episode. And I think probably a lot of people, you see it come up Mm -hmm. on Reddit or different places online. Um, So Yamaguchi, he lived and worked in Nagasaki, as we said. But then in the summer of 1945, he went to Hiroshima for a three-month long work trip. On August 6th, he was preparing to finally go home to his wife and infant son. He was on his way to the train station with two of his colleagues when he realized he had forgotten his hanko, which is a type of ID that was common in Japan at the time. Yamaguchi turned around and went back to work to get it. So at 8.15 a.m., he's arriving back at the docks after getting his badge when an American B-29 bomber dropped the little boy, a.k.a. the atomic bomb. Yeah, he recalled seeing the bomber and two parachutes just before a great flash took over the sky. He drove into a ditch just before he was blasted to the ground, the explosion rupturing his eardrums and blinding him. Mm-hmm. The shockwave from the blast then sucked Yamaguchi from the ditch and spun him in the air like a tornado, hurling him into a nearby potato patch. There, he was surrounded by falling ash. The sun was blacked out by dust and debris. He could see a mushroom cloud of fire in the sky over the city. And, uh, you know, obviously this is a horrific thing to endure. He had radiation Mm -hmm. burns all over the left top half of his body. Mm -hmm. But when he came to, he crawled to a shelter. And then, you know, the bomb, it turns out, was dropped in the city center and it was less than two miles from where he had been. Yeah, yeah. He wandered in a daze towards what remained of the Mitsubishi shipyard. And it was there that he actually found two of his coworkers. Surprisingly, they you know, all survived it. Um, They were able to take more shelter in uh, an air raid, nearby air raid shelter that night. And then they kind of were like, well, we need to get out of here and try to, you know, figure out what's going on. The city's bridges were mangled beyond repair, though. So at one point, Yamaguchi had to get out and swim through a river of dead bodies. The route to the train station was a nightmare. Yeah, like, I mean, I feel like we, we, you know, we know, and, but we don't know, you know, like the landscape was, it was just riddled with fires and fallen and shattered buildings and most horrifically just charred corpses of people who did not survive the blast. Yeah. Like when I think about this and the way we're just describing it, it's just like, like hell, just Mm -hmm. hell on earth. Yeah. 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 And it's some civilians, right? I mean, that's the time again of war who, Mm -hmm. yeah. Somehow the trains were still running between the cities, though. So Yamaguchi and his his co-workers boarded the train, which was filled with shocked and burned passengers finally making their way to Nagasaki. God, what a, like, experience that must have been. 
When Yamaguchi returned home, he went straight to a hospital. The doctor who treated him didn't recognize him, despite being a former classmate who knew him. Yeah, and his family didn't even recognize him. His mother even accused him of being a ghost. Yamaguchi had blackened burns all over his hands and his face. I wish we were talking about the cat still. I know. (laughs) So, so heavy. And it's going to get worse. Three days later, on the morning of August 9th, despite being feverish and then, you know, just wrapped in bandages, Yamaguchi dragged himself out of bed to go to work. I hate capitalism. I know. I I thought the same thing. I was like, wow, this is present to this day, too. Yeah. Yeah. Dude just survived an atomic Atomic bomb. bomb. And he's like, got to go to work. That's kind of where we're at now. Yeah. Pandemic. Um, Yeah. Yeah. When he reported to uh, Mitsubishi in the Nagasaki office, the company director demanded to know what happened in Hiroshima. Yamaguchi told him everything, but his boss didn't believe him and he called him crazy. Yeah. And I think this is obviously a pre-social media, pre-iPhone, pre-people having a camera in their pocket or being able to take even a photograph world. And so it sounds kind of like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe his boss didn't believe him. But I'm sure this seemed so outrageous at the time. So Yamaguchi is explaining to his boss how this city was destroyed by a bomb and his boss is like, no, you're whack. That's not true. That's not possible. When outside there's this sudden white flash and the landscape around them just sort of explodes in it. Yamaguchi hit the ground before the shockwaves tore through the building, sending glass and debris throughout the office. The bandages he had painstakingly wrapped himself in were blown off, um, but surprisingly he was relatively unharmed. Thanks to the city's hilly landscape and a reinforced stairwell, Yamaguchi's life was spared. But for the second time, in three days, Yamaguchi was less than two miles away from a nuclear explosion. Unreal. I know. And this time it was the U.S. dropping the Fat Man, uh, an atomic bomb that was two times stronger than the one Yamaguchi had endured in Hiroshima. The double dose of radiation caused Yamaguchi's hair to fall out and his arms developed gangrene and he vomited constantly. Horrifically. Like, yeah, we all know about all the cancers that came Mm -hmm. out of these bombings and things like that. He was still withering in a bomb shelter with his family when on August 15th, Japan's emperor announced Japan's surrender in the war. Being blasted by two atomic bombs three days apart definitely fits in the unluckiest people category. Like that is that I've. That's insane. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, <laughs> there's kind of a lucky silver lining to this story. You know, he survived. Mm-hmm. Miraculous. His wife and child survived. Mm, that's good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Their, ho- their house had been destroyed in the blast, but when the bomb was dropped, they had been in town looking for burn salves from Yamaguchi. You know, and if he had not been injured in Hiroshima, then maybe he would have been at home and the outcome mm. would have been worse. That's, Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it it's horrific and it's not a thing that we should have to say that, you know, that I always hate the like, well, you know, at least it, it's not worse than X, Y or Z. But it's I feel like everything is valid to be bad. It is estimated that there are at least seven, 70 people who survived both bombings. Yamaguchi was the only person to be officially recognized by the Japanese government as surviving both explosions. Oh, wow. Yeah. Didn't know that. There were lasting effects. He lost all hearing in his left ear. Um, and his daughter remembered him being wrapped in bandages until she was about 12 years old. And mm-hmm. he, like many other people um, in Japan, 
who lived through the bombs suffered from radiation-related illness like leukemia and cataracts. But he did end up living a long life. He died in 2010. Mm -hmm. It's so weird because, like, you know, we talked about this at the beginning of the episode, you know, and what what does unlucky and lucky mean in the way that you look at it? Because, yeah, take Yamaguchi, for instance, like, that is really awful to be a part of both of those explosions um, and bombs. But, you know, then he he died later in life and, and, you know, he had a bunch of stuff that happened. But it's at the same time, it's like, I can't believe he survived both of those things. Yeah. And so I, there's like a flip side and then there's the other side. Yeah. I mean, Stephen King, you kicked off the episode with it, but he really got it. Good luck is bad luck with its mm. hair combed because it's mm-hmm. like he only... We say that he's lucky because he survived these, but he endured such a horrific thing mm-hmm. that was so unlucky. Mm-hmm. So it's such a catch-22 in a way. It is. It is. It is. And I'm sure if you were to actually talk to these people, these these when these awful things have happened to them, th- I'm very curious, like, what is your perspective? You know, are you like, I am so yeah. thankful or this is the absolute worst thing and I wouldn't wish this upon anybody? Of course they wouldn't, but like, I'm curious to to know that perspective too. Yeah, I would too. I'm going to maybe like dig around and see what, what he said. So I'm sure he was interviewed a bunch. So I'd love to Me too. go and see what he said about his life. But um, I feel like we're pretty lucky. I'm, you know, lucky to do this podcast with you, Jess. Oh God. Yeah. There are so many times where even everything uh, going on in the world right now, again, we are, this is November 15th, 2023. Um, there's a lot of stuff going on in the world right now when uh, Israel and Gaza and all of that. And so I, I've yeah, definitely it's all perspective. Think it is. I definitely count my blessings and I am very, very grateful for the life that I live. And I try every day not to take it for granted. Yeah. Yeah. That's the best attitude to have, you know, especially like we're thankful that all of you join us here and spend your time with us. We feel very lucky because of that. And even though you guys are a bunch of sickos. Yes. <laughs> We've attracted the worst <laughs> of the worst. <laughs> um but yeah no we got a bunch of sickos we love hanging out with you guys and totally very thankful for that we hang out with some of you one-on-one because we've been doing these movie watch-along parties if you're a rooster teeth first member yes um, we have one today yeah we have one today and we we do them in our discord i think it's discord.gg slash rooster teeth and if you're a first member you get access to this discord and we yeah we watch like a scary movie every month and you hang out with us in the discord while we watch so if, if you do want to become a first member i believe it's um there's a specific code you can use to sign up to let them know that you're coming because of 30 morbid and i think that's 30 mm dot show slash first yes we are as again november 15th uh we're we're working on that should be almost done right um but that will be the link at it should be ready by the time you listen to this podcast yeah, is what we're saying so. <laughs> yeah but yeah, so we do Discord events, and we also, there's a couple other perks as well. I know this month, um, Elise, you're going to be showing us, what are you What are you showing us? You want to tell I us? I did a little video where I showed off, like, here are some of the spooky things I own. And yeah. Yeah, creepy things. I, <laughs> there's, uh, spoiler, there's some facial hair. I don't, I, I don't want to say anymore. Okay. Those are for our first members sign up. Yeah. But one of the other things I want to do with Elise uh, on one of these first perks is- um, You mentioned wanna- some creepy crafting. I want to make homemade voodoo dolls with Elise, <laughs> like on stream live while we're streaming. Maybe you guys Great. could come bring your crafts <laughs> with you. We can all make voodoo dolls, but we're going to, we're not going to like want to really wish like, harm. Why on are them. they only making Mitch McConnell voodoo dolls? <laughs> well, 
we know the answer to that one, but but yeah, um, no, it's a it's a good time, and and we absolutely love hanging out with you guys. So so please, yes. you know, and it directly supports us. Um, so we would we'd love yeah. to have you guys. You can follow us on social media at Thirty Morbid Minutes on TikTok for your bite sized morbid facts, and of course we got some hot merch in the Rooster Teeth store for you. Yeah. For now, bad bye, Jessica. I wish you the best of luck. Bad bye, Elise. I wish you the best of luck too. You? Why did you pause on best there for a second? Well, I, I felt don't like know. you were going to say something else. I don't know, else. Elise. I don't know what that. No, who knows? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs>